Hey guys, it's Sean. You may have noticed I took a bit of a break since the last episode of this podcast. When I started the show back in 2015, the world looked a bit different. My original mission with the show was to introduce an audience to entrepreneurial-minded individuals who were willing to share their struggles and provide insight into how they overcame various challenges along their journey. And while I will forever be fascinated by the entrepreneurial journey and the struggles associated with it, I found that most of my conversations veered in the direction of something even bigger. And the episodes that resonated with both me and my audience most were those that dove into some of the bigger conversations about life, about passion, about what it really means to achieve success in one's life, and what truly matters in the end. It feels as if the world is becoming more and more divided each day. I believe we can fix this through more intentional and intelligently informed conversation. And so it is through that lens that I am approaching this new season of episodes. I've got some amazing conversations lined up, featuring stories that will inspire you to pursue your life with a renewed sense of passion, and to live in such a way that you aspire to leave things better than you found them. Of course, success and achievement will still be a recurring theme in these conversations, but my bigger goal is to talk to people whose primary objective is related to somehow making the world a better place through their service to others. So with that, I invite you to join me as we think bigger, bolder, as we think outside the lines. Welcome. Hi, I'm Sean. I've always been curious about the answers to life's big questions. I thought it would be cool to seek some of those answers through conversations with others on a similar path. I started this podcast with a simple mission. I want to help you improve your life. These conversations are meant to challenge you, make you think, and to inspire you to pursue the things in life that light you up. I've always believed that with the right mix of effort and perseverance, anything truly is possible. I'd like to invite you to think outside the lines. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Think Outside the Lines podcast. My guest today is back on the show for the second time. In her first appearance earlier this year, we discussed all things money. And if you haven't heard it yet, I strongly recommend you go back and check it out. Today, we're going to touch upon a wide array of other topics, particularly the aftermath of the 2016 election and how we can move forward. We talk politics, religion, consciousness, meditation, prosperity, and so much more. And because there's so much to digest, I've divided this episode into two parts. This woman has lived so much life and offers incredible perspective. I promise you will find many gems in these conversations. It's time to think outside the lines, again, with Joan Sotkin. Good morning, Joan. How are you? I'm terrific. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so wonderful. It's so great to be talking to you again. Thank you so much for doing my show again. My pleasure. Our last show was focused primarily around money, um, and I, of course, found your story incredibly fascinating. Um, but I actually, since you appeared on my podcast, I've actually become a fan of your podcast, um, <laughs> and particularly the episodes that you've done around the election um, and just some of the aftermath of that here in the U.S. Uh, you've shared a lot of really insightful perspective on kind of just the general state of the world today, and. I've been compelled to have you back because I'd love you to share some of that insight with my audience. So again, thank you for joining me. Oh, I look forward to doing this. <laughs> so I actually took a break uh, from doing this podcast for a while after the election because I kind of just lost faith for a minute in just 
people in general. <laughs> and it, it took a while for me to kind of get some of that back because you started to see, obviously there was a lot of like really pos- positive um, sentiment with, you know, a lot of like the marches and the protests and some of the resistance. I, I feel that there's also been a lot on the other side too in terms of like the negativity that still persists. And so I just it felt like a good time to come back because I want to engage in conversation that is inspiring and and talks about how we, how we move forward. So I know that you've on your show talked about some of the challenges in that realm as well. I'd love if maybe you could talk a bit about what the experience has been like for you and how it's impacted some of your clients and your audience. All right. Uh, Big topic. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot to dive into. I know. Yeah. Well, first of all, I've been on the planet a long time. So the longer you live here, the more you can see uh, patterns and ups and downs. And I always remember that we live in a dualistic reality. There are pluses and minuses. There's no such thing as all plus. You've got to have downs with ups. I mean, even on the atomic level, there are plus charges and minus charges. True. So I always try to see what the plus side is, and I realize we actually have to have the minus side because that's just part of our reality. And my job is to watch what's going on and not necessarily take things personally. And to be able to kind of look at things from a a wider point of view. I mean, in the 1960s, I was very involved in the anti-Vietnam movement. And we were out there uh, demonstrating, and I would try to get uh, TV coverage for the demonstrations. And uh, then during the uh, whole Ellsberg thing and the uh, you know all the the problems with that and at the time I was married to someone who was uh, the executive producer of Eyewitness News in Los Angeles and we were the contact for Ellsberg and Russo so we were really involved in that and very angry and you know really emotional about the whole thing and it made a difference. So I see that even when things look awful, really awful, they can turn around. What's happening now is our whole political system appears to be ripped apart. And it's like the cabinet secretaries are doing crazy things and and the the money that's being spent and the, the nastiness, I mean, there was a lot that was hidden when I was a lot younger, but at least it was civil. We didn't have social media. We didn't have ways of yelling at all of us at the same time. And Do you and, think it's the social media that's made things less civil? I, I wonder about that a lot because, like, you can go on Twitter, right, or Facebook or any social media platform, and you can actually see that, like, people don't have that inhibition that they would have in person. And so... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's... It's like, I don't get any trolls. I mean, every once in a while, someone will say something and I just unfriend them. You know? yeah. So I don't have to, I don't engage with that sort of thing. That's smart. And so I ask a number of questions. What's the good and the why? Okay, 
Now, I believe that our emotions are the creative force behind our life stories. And there are an awful lot of people who have been carrying a lot of anger since early childhood because they weren't treated well, they were abused, neglected, they had alcoholic parents, or they were taught to hate. I mean, it's amazing to me. I don't understand hate. I just don't understand it. Yes. Yeah, and, and so, you know, for peaceful people, it's a hard thing to understand, but it exists. So what I see that's positive now is that all this racism and anti-Semitism and, and everything that's not us, you know, this, this us, them kind of thing, it's coming to the surface. The, the young people are learning to be peaceful. I mean, look how many people are involved in meditation and all sorts of mindfulness practices. Totally. And I mean, the word spiritual isn't a dirty word anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it is so different. So there will be a tipping point where the spiritual energies are are in the the mainstream and i'm not talking about the religion and the guilt and the yeah. shame and all that stuff but i love doing the podcast that i do because i get in touch with so many young people and and it's you know the world is run by old people and especially the government <laughs> I, I mean it's old white people right now old white men. and that's not what the world is totally and you know i understand that you know black lives matter is, is bringing out a lot of anger and i understand that so i think that each of us can contribute by finding the peace within ourselves what is it that's that is the danger for me today. Remember, your brain is wired so that anytime there's unknown, uh, uncertain future, you're going to get the message to be scared. And that's the message a lot of people are getting. We don't know where this is going. I mean, look at what's happening with the hurricanes and the earthquakes. And I mean, it's it's chaos. But what do you think it is that makes some of us like fear is a is a universal emotion, right? We all we all feel fear and we all react differently to fear. And yeah. I definitely agree with you that certain people take that fear and that uncertainty and turn it into maybe like an anger. But how do you explain then that there's another segment of us who actually tries to rise above that and, and make something positive out of it? It's called evolution. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. I just think that each generation is different from the one before. And the one before doesn't necessarily understand the new generation. And, you know, in the 1980s, I had a crystal business. I, I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, I, 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 was, I was the first one to market crystals and minerals for healing and meditation nationwide. And I had a line of stones called Jones Stones and uh, that were in 600 stores. And it was a little box with a stone and instructions. And the instructions were actually meditation instructions. Mm. 
Okay. And I sold a lot of them. I sold 50,000 of those little stones. So that was the very beginning. And I mean, and I never could have built this huge business if there weren't people looking for that. And I want to ask you about that. So you mentioned a, a minute ago that, that spirituality used to be kind of a dirty word. What did you see change? What did that evolution look like to you? Well, the consciousness is changing. I mean, more and more people started meditating. And, you know, the Maharishi used to say, if you had 10% or 1%, I forget the number that he used, in a city of people meditating, it would change the energy of the city. But why do you and think that is? Why do you think more people started meditating? Like something happened that's caused this to change. Okay, esoterically, yeah. I mean, I'm really into metaphysics and everything. So <laughs> in the book, I talk about how I went on this journey, I gave everything I owned away. And actually, when I gave my things away and went wandering, there were a lot of so-called hippies who were wandering around and hitchhiking across America looking for something else. Now, a lot of those people are now my friends. I, have, I belong to this spiritual group where a lot of those people were the people who were hitchhiking around and so there were a lot of us that were looking for peace. And there was a moment in my journey, I was meditating six to eight hours a day. And there was this moment when I had this amazing, what would be called Kundalini experience. And I just went into other dimensions. There was no doubt about it. And the message that I got at the time was that I was a pioneer of consciousness and was breaking through the, the, the bounds of illusion, the Maya that, that the Hindus talk about. And I understood that. I saw that there was an energetic breakthrough, just like when Roger Bannister ran the first four minute mile, it was like, wow, look what he did. And then suddenly lots of people were running four minute miles. There has to be a, a breakthrough on this energetic level. And there were a lot of people like me who were starting to meditate in the 1970s and even before. And so we were the pioneers in consciousness that were breaking through whatever that barrier was and allowing more information to go back and forth interdimensionally, you could say. Remember, whenever we try to explain what that other thing is, we're getting it wrong because we're using three-dimensional words to describe something that's beyond three dimensions. Yeah. So each of us has our own concept of it. So I just think that there was a, a breakthrough. All of a sudden, people were taking lessons in kundalini yoga and yoga. And, and it, as I said, it's evolution. Just like suddenly everyone was running a four, not everyone, but a lot of people were running a four-minute mile. So there are pioneers of consciousness, just like people who came to America you know, that was a big deal when when whoever came to America first, that was a big deal. Now, they didn't know how to treat the natives, and there was a lot of, you know, stuff that wasn't so good then. But hopefully, 
the peaceful children, more and more peaceful children are becoming peaceful. I have a client who had to deal with his vegan child. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know, the kid is, he was like 10 years old and he insisted on being a vegan. I mean, there's a lot of that that's happening. And, and so those of us who feel the peace, who yearn for the peace, and, and I do that, and we have to understand that it's not just you, it's us. And more and more people, there's now a movement, I don't know if you've read about it, the, it's really non-denominational, the, the non-God churches, where they don't worship anything, but they're going, and it's a big movement all across the United States. Now you belong well, to one of those, right? Yeah, I, and it's we've I've belonged to it since 1996. Wow, and that's a long time. It, yes, and it's now we just had our 26th anniversary party, and so this is a whole group of people. <laughs> And Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I live, is very much like this. Yeah. There are there are a lot of, you know, ex hippies and and just people of new consciousness. But a lot of people are are looking for something outside of organized religion. Sure. And there are different expressions of this. There's the Church of Religious Science, and Unity's a little different, although they still have a a lot of the Christ energy involved with that. There, I mean, there's words like Hindu and Buju. These are Jewish people who are now into Hinduism and Buddhism. Wow, that's I interesting. I mean, you know, and um, I, I really got into uh, Vedanta, which is a branch of Hinduism that honors all paths, and and so the media doesn't talk about this. But there's a lot of it. This article that I read said that there are all these these they use the word church because what else are you going to call it on Sunday morning? But they're 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 just people sharing spiritual ideas. The group that I belong to is a leaderless congregation. There is no minister or leader, and the whole thing is put together by the congregation. It's How does that work by- in terms of structure then? Well, we have a, a pattern that we follow. In other words, there's a, 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 an order of service, and we have a meditation, and we have a speaker who talks for 20 minutes, and people volunteer to be speakers from all over the community. We have some wonderful speakers, and and we have you know potlucks that we get together, and we have a, a peace ceremony coming up, and. Uh, we just do whatever we want, and it's run by a council. And I've been on the council since the very beginning that I was there. And it's run by consensus, not by majority rules. So when we have our meetings, we all have to come to agreement in order for something to move forward, which takes longer, but it's really wonderful. And um, our council meetings are fabulous. We have these wonderful discussions uh, about ethics and 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 what we want for our community. And I'm just so grateful that I'm part of this very peaceful, loving community. When I had hand surgery a year ago, 
I didn't have to worry because there were always people there to help me. I mean, it's wonderful. And I give back in other ways. Yeah. So I live in an alternate reality. In other words, my life includes all these wonderful things. And so I'm just watching what's going on in the outside world. And I realize that I don't, I have the choice of not hating and not getting upset and not being afraid. I love it. So in one of your recent episodes, you, you said something very specific. You said we've lost something in this country. And you said in order to truly make America great again, which is like my least favorite slogan ever, yes. um, because I never thought that America wasn't great, but I digress. Right? Um, you said in order to truly make America great again, we need to figure out how to treat each other better. And I really feel that that kind of cuts to the core of everything that's wrong right now. Like we, we don't treat each other right. And we don't listen to each other. We don't respect each other the way that we should. I mean, obviously there's some of us that do, but I'm speaking obviously kind of as a whole. Um, and so I'd love if you can kind of elaborate on that thought a little bit. Like what, what are some things that we can do to be more conscious of how we treat each other? Right? Okay. First of all, you start treating yourself better. Ah, uh, here we go. That's where it has to start for you. And if you're still picking on yourself and telling yourself you should be doing this, you're, you're being a critical parent to yourself. Well, most of us had parents who, who were just trying to get by and they didn't necessarily know how to give a child the love and affection that it needed. And so you have to reparent yourself and find that inner, inner goddess, inner God that is going to treat you like you're the most important thing in the world. And I mean, this is what I had to go through because I, I was a very sick person physically and emotionally. And I really had to get to the point where I am now where I I never say anything negative to myself. It does, just doesn't happen. But where and does it's that not start? Like, How do you start on that path? You because... have to make a decision. The decision that when I hear myself telling myself I did something wrong, you have to say, no, you're doing fine. I have a saying that I used from the very beginning Joni's a good girl and can have whatever she wants. And even if I just made the bed, I would say that. So it's a matter of brain science. Whatever you're now doing is a habit. You haven't done anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. Whatever you are doing in terms of beliefs, thoughts, and emotions, and those are what go into your decisions, are all just habits. And once you recognize the habit, then, then you can change it. I just completed this course recently called Rewire Your Brain for Prosperity and Financial Freedom because that's what people want is more money, but it really gets you a better life. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's about how to recognize the habits, how to release the old and create the new by replacing because the way your brain works in your brain, you have this network of connections that are called neural pathways and they build up through experience. 
So like when you're a little kid and you're not getting what you want and you, you, your mother says, you know, you're, 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 lo you're longing for love and what you get is abuse. Well, you're going to be pissed off. And that's a natural reaction. So that anger becomes a, a normal response because you've built up those neural pathways. And what has to happen is you have to build up new responses. So uh, in the course, I talk about how you have to recognize, release, replace, and repeat. You just have to repeat it over and over again. And the problem is, as you start changing the, the pattern, because you can say to yourself, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get defensive next time that person talks to me. I remember I had to do that particular one. Um, I'm not going to get defensive. So when I feel myself getting defensive, I'm going to take a deep breath and just let go and understand that everything's fine. Well, I had to do that, you know, a dozen times before I stopped being defensive. And the problem is when you start changing the way you respond to things, you get what I call the moving stupids. Now, <laughs> the moving stupids are what you get when you move from one house to another and you really want to be in the new house, but you, you don't know where anything is. You bump <laughs> the walls, you lose your wallet, you lose your keys. It's disorienting. And the brain science behind that is as you're, because when you move into the new house, you have to build up new neural pathways as to where things are and how to get home and all that stuff. And so when you go to do something, your brain gets confused because it doesn't know whether to go to the old neural pathways or the new neural pathways, and you get disoriented. And once you can recognize the moving stupids, you can say to yourself, oh, I've got the moving stupids and you don't have to fight it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that actually, that's a great analogy. I've actually never heard it, <laughs> heard it that way. So I'm hearing that your thesis is essentially when people are happier and satisfied, they're less angry and that can help us transition into a different kind of society. Is that, is that it? Right. But you have to get used to get rid of the wounds from childhood because so many people did not get the love, affection, and connection they needed. That's what's happening. Donald Trump is just a very wounded soul. Yeah. He was sent away to school at a very early age. He wasn't taught how to love. And now we're I all mean, suffering the consequences. <laughs> but only because there were enough people who suffered the same wound and felt connected to him. And it's like with the white nationalists. These are not bad people. These are wounded people who need a community. I've heard uh, interviews with white nationalists and why they became white nationalists. And it's because they needed a community. Gang members become gang members because they need to feel connected. That's a human need. One of our core needs is to feel connected. And and so we're not going to cure it by putting people in jail. Yeah. We, I mean, love is the healer. There's no doubt about it. And if all of these so-called Christians would start practicing Christianity, yeah. it would be a whole lot better. We can't hate each other. We can't 
judge judge not and ye shall not be judged and and to me that was i realized how judgmental i was years ago and i just got that saying into my head and and i you know i i remember one day i was sitting in my spiritual group and there was someone who came up to the podium and and she was wearing a combination of clothes and i said to myself what was she thinking and then i re- <laughs> And I realized how I was being really judgmental and I was working on stopping that. And this phrase came into my head, which was, I'm grateful for the gift of every moment. That's so good. So so you have to make a decision to recognize when you're where you're being, where you don't want to be and say, where else would I be rather be and do I know how to do that do I know how to feel satisfied I have a client and after two sessions I said have you ever been happy and he said no wow well that's so sad and all he thinks about is making more money as if that's gonna make him happy yeah you're in an interesting space because you actually like you you deal with helping people become happier, but then you also deal with money. And sometimes people see those as like diametrically opposed to one another. Money's just an energy. It's and it's the energy of relationship. You know, money has no power until it passes between two people or entities. And you know, people say, "Well, if only I had more money." And I say over and over again, it's never about money. Yeah. You don't need more money. You need more people. Because money comes from people. And if you'll stop focusing on money, it's funny because my prosperity place is a lot about money, but I tell people to stop focusing on money. That's not the way to find peace within. Isn't that kind my of saying goal, like don't looking don't look at the elephant in the room though? You know, we need money. We need to in order to function in a capitalistic society, but that doesn't have to be your goal. Sure. I'd rather have feeling goals than I also have financial goals. But it's like this person who was never happy. He said, "Why can Carl Icahn make so money, much money?" And I and he's this guy that I'm talking about made a lot of money. And I said, "Well, do you want to be Carl Icahn, who's not a very nice person?" <laughs> so, so you know, and you know, I I was looking up last night what. Um, I was looking for information about Warren Buffett's childhood because he seems pretty well adapted. Yeah, he you does, know, actually. And, you know, he, he goes to McDonald's for breakfast every day and spends $3.17. He he lives in the same house that he bought in the 1980s. He, he's, not, he's not after things. Well, his father was a stockbroker. He was brought up in that moneyed world, so it's very natural for him. And and so when I'm trying to teach people how to become more prosperous, they have to get to the place where they can feel wealthy. And and what I what I did was I set my goal to not let my bank account determine how I feel. And I would let my money not consciously, but it would go down to where the fact that the point where I had a hundred dollars. And my goal was to not see that as a bad, wrong, dangerous, it just was a number. And and doing that 
helped me recognize when I started longing for something more, it helped me see that longing was the problem. It also helped me see that deprivation was one of my main feelings. And if I had a deprivation habit, I was going to keep creating uh, stories, life stories that allowed me to feel deprived. So I had to work on the deprivation, not making more money. Interesting. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it actually does uh, because I think uh, the part of me that's conflicted with that is in a way I feel like you're focusing on the lack, which then like manifests more lack, but I actually see where you're going. Well, I, I, first of all, anytime I hear the word abundance yeah, really pushes my buttons. Why is that? Because rich people never talk about abundance. Interesting. They just live it. Yeah, that's true. I have a lot of wealthy friends. I was talking to one the other day, and, and we were both laughing at people who talk about abundance. People will say, well, I finally got enough money for the rent. I feel so abundant. That's not abundance. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You know, it's, that's not it, right? And the, the whole law of attraction thing, I mean, there is a law of attraction, but it's it, it's, it's not— It's living and being, right? It's not it's thinking about what it's, it's it's like when I was working through deprivation. Yeah. So I, I said to myself, well, where was I deprived? All right. So I lived in a comfortable middle-class house. I didn't know that my parents had financial problems because my father was a debtor and he was always spent, although we didn't have credit cards back then. But um, my, my, need, my physical needs were taken care of. Yeah. But – my my emotional needs were not taken care of. Um, my 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 neither of my parents knew how to say I love you except when they would say, "We only do this because we love you," <laughs> 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 and that didn't help any. And and we didn't touch each other. We just told jokes. Yeah. And um, so I was always the straight person and the object of the growth. So I of the joke. So I see now. That and my my parents didn't touch, so the deprivation was not feeling lovable, not feeling because babies automatically need touch. I mean, it's a human need. Yeah. And and so I began to look at all the ways I wasn't deprived, and then I realized that in today's world, I really am being touched. There are lots of ways that grown-ups touch each other. You know, just by listening, by smiling at each other, by handing each other money, that's a way of being touched. And I mean, I have 8,000 people on my mailing list and I wasn't feeling touched. (laughs) So whose problem was that? So I would get into bed at night and just remember all the nice things that happened to me during the day and I would practice feeling touched. And it was amazing how my world opened up after I did that. That's cool. So, I like that. So again, it's a decision to recognize what's going on, recognize, release, replace, and repeat. And and I have people I can talk to about it, about anything that, you know, I have friends that I can share what's going on inside of me. A lot of people don't discuss what's really going on. There's so many entrepreneurs now. God, they're coming out of the woodwork. And <laughs> And... And entrepreneurs never say, 
gee, I, I like what I do, but am I having so much money problems? Well, I also think there's so many entrepreneurs that they don't necessarily know what they, that means. Like they're calling themselves an entrepreneur, but I think right. it's, it's kind of like actor. Like I have this theory that like anyone can move to Los Angeles and say they're an actor. There's nothing, there's no like prerequisite. You know what I mean? And I think entrepreneur yeah. is kind of becoming part of that category too. It's like, oh, cool. I have a website. I'm an entrepreneur. Right. And, and they have no skills for being an entrepreneur. <laughs> exactly. Or being an actor in most cases, but continue. Exactly. And I, I, have a, I have a nephew who went to Hollywood to be an actor. I and, live in Los Angeles, so I'm around these people all the time. So I have some And contacts. I lived in Hollywood for a long time. <laughs> My brother was a big time TV producer and I worked in big network shows. So I know that world. And it's like I moved to Santa Fe. I didn't know why. I had to learn how to become an ordinary person, yeah. you know, and deal with ordinary people. All right, that concludes part one of my interview with Joan. Now, please join us again next week for part two of our conversation. As always, you can find the links for everything we referenced in the show notes for this episode over at thinkoutsidethelines.com. If you're enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And please share this episode with anyone you think could benefit from hearing it. I thank you for listening. Now go out there and pursue your passion today, because the best way to predict the future is to create it.